0: Welcome to Baby in Berlin, the podcast for international families in Germany, where we share information and resources about pregnancy, birth, and the early family years. My name is Elodie. I'm a mother of two and a maternity concierge and postpartum doula living in Berlin. My role is to accompany parents on the adventure of having a baby in Germany. I mostly do this through my online course available on babyinberlin.com. I was born in France and I got pregnant shortly after moving to Germany. I came to experience firsthand what it's like to give birth in a foreign country, not knowing what to do and when, and not even speaking the language. I've created this podcast to share my knowledge of the pregnancy and birth system in Germany. I hope you'll enjoy it. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Baby in Berlin podcast. Today, I'm talking to Annie Kocher, who is a certified doula from Doula Trainings International. They are a white neurodivergent non-binary queer feminist doula based in Berlin, Germany. Birthwork called them shortly after graduating from Brown University in 2014, and they've been a full-time birth and postpartum doula ever since, caring for families in English and German. In 2020, Annie began offering gender transition doula care. Annie's mission as a doula is to create meaningful change in people's lives through inclusion, information liberation, and grassroots care work. Annie is on Earth to hold space for a more radical, more just, more healed world to be born. Wow, amazing. Welcome, Annie. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm really, really excited to uh, have you on board and to be able to interview for the podcast. Um, I think the international families listening will learn a lot from you. And uh, I know that when I wanted to do a an episode on, on uh, doula work, more specifically on, on birth doula work, I thought, I, I just want to speak to Annie. <laughs> I can't think of anyone else.
1: Thank you. And honestly, the work that you do is so transformational. If I were an international family coming here, trying to give birth, especially if I were moving, you know, sometimes people move during pregnancy, I would be completely overwhelmed trying to navigate the the german system um it's it was really unfamiliar to me when i started off here and the fact that you can help clarify for people what the landmarks are and what they need to look into and help them with the bureaucracy and the paperwork and then also be around as a postpartum doula i mean you're the total package it's you're just an amazing asset to the city and the families here so i'm glad to contribute my voice Oh that's
0: amazing that's that's really really kind of you um I think I told you when we were preparing the the episode that um you know, not a lot of people know what a doula is, or they have preconceptions about what, what doulas do and what doulas are. And there are actually many types of doula work or, or many types of support that you can get from a doula. And I actually shared with you that not so long ago, I had to do go through a, a pretty painful, pretty scary medical exam. Um, it wasn't a birth. It was nothing related to having a baby, but it was scary and I needed some... Extra support, um, and I—I I actually brought a doula with me mm-hmm. <laughs> to uh, um, hold my hand and to tell me what you know what the next step was going to be. To tell me that I was doing fine, and uh, um, you know, I—I I actually was inspired by you to do this uh, because you reached out to the doula community a um, few years back, also asking for support, and. Um, <coughs> I think it's uh it was really transformational for me to to do this and not to have to feel like I had to be, you know, strong and um and that it is it's great to see, you know, people normalizing the, you know, reaching out to ask for support and to ask for help. Um, so, thank you very much for <laughs> showing me this way and, and for allowing me to even think about this solution, which, you know, I will um,
1: reach out to in the future as well if if I need to. I'm so glad that gave you courage and I can relate completely. Um, As I've mentioned to you before, I also take doulas. Well, one particular doula, (laughs) um, she's sort of my life doula and she's a really good friend of mine and she comes with, you know, when I have gynecology appointments, because those can sometimes be triggering for me. Um, And yeah, when I recently got my first tattoo, I brought a tattoo doula with, um, because yeah, I think there's a lot that's been lost um, in our culture around rite of passage experiences since settler colonialism has sort of taken over the globe and um, white culture in a lot of ways, it really lacks these like kind of ceremonial and ritual modes of support. Um, For example, if you're somebody who's menstruating for the first time, that's something that I think traditionally in a lot of cultures you would have support around there might be songs that might be sung, there might be stories that would be told, there might be um, just community support around these experiences that is sort of totally lacking in the culture that I grew up in, which was sort of like white culture in the States in Wisconsin. Um, and so, yeah, when we go through transformational experiences and really at this point, like any engagement with pain, with medicine, um, with uncertainty could be viewed as a transformational experience. And these things are rites of passage in a way. And we do deserve to have loving, informative support. These are not things that humans are designed to go through alone. That is often too much of a burden on the nervous system and the psyche of a human being. We are. Hardwired for connection. We're meant to go through things in groups and with social support and partnership and love. And, you know, birth (laughs) is a very good example of something that people can do with a lot of great support around.
0: Yeah. So, Tell us about um, about uh, your your work or more generally more generally the, the the doula work and the doula care around around birth what 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 is a birth doula what does she do, and also what is the difference between a doula and, and a midwife you know a doula and a, and a medical provider
1: mm mm-hmm. I love this question, and this is usually the first question on people's minds, so it's a perfect thing to start with. So, a doula in the first place is a non medical care provider, which means anything that falls under medical care, for example, examinations, um, taking blood, administering medications, um, administering oxygen, you know, anything that goes under the medical umbrella. Is going to be taken care of by a medical care provider in Germany, since it's a midwifery led care model, that person will be your midwife. And only when things become more medically complicated would a doctor then involve themselves in a birth in Germany. So your midwife and your doctor Mm. are your medical care team. Your doula is a non-medical support person for you. So what that often means is we are caring for you in the form of massaging your lower back, squeezing your hips. Um, If there's a bad smell in the room, we might use some good smells that you like or aromatherapy to help you calm down or bring your energy up if you need it. Um, A doula is going to inform, so answer questions um, before and during and after birth, um, we're going to provide emotional care and emotional support. If you need a shoulder to cry on, if you need a hand to hold, if you need a hug at a critical moment, we're going to be there for you for that. Um, and in general, this is really one of the strengths of the profession. A doula is, by definition, somebody who doesn't work for a hospital or an institution. So that gives us a lot of freedom in terms of the type of care that we can give to you. Some doulas might come from a certain tradition where they have certain foods that they like to cook for families. Some doulas might come from a tradition where there are certain forms of massage that they offer to families. And that diversity is really there in the profession. Every doula and every family gets to decide for themselves how they want to craft and weave together this care relationship. So it's highly unique, highly individualized, very personalized for your needs, usually pretty high touch. Um, yeah, it's care work and it's emotional labor in a lot of ways. And then one of the other things that really sets doulas apart and helps understand, okay, so what does a doula do is we provide continuous care at birth. This was called a continuous care model. And when doulas are actually researched and people look at what are the possible health benefits from having continuous care at a birth, that's one of the criteria in the research that helps researchers look at what defines the role of a doula. So a doula in research is somebody who the family did not know beforehand. So they're not friend and they're not family member and they don't work for the hospital. And, um, In terms of providing continuous care, what that usually looks like is people give me a call when they're in early labor, we touch base, Um, they know when to call me when active labor starts and then pretty much from the time their active labor begins, I'll come to them at home, we'll spend time together letting the labor build, getting them comfortable, maybe helping them into the bath or in the shower Um, maybe helping them get into a comfortable propped up position, lying down, helping massage their back and cope with the pain during the waves. And then general, just really being there for the family until the labor is strong enough that we decide to move to the birthplace if that's not at home. And then. Normally, the doula's role would be to stay with the family throughout the transfer to the birthplace, stay the whole time they're at their birthplace for the birth of the baby, the birth of the placenta, and the first um, body feeding latch if they want to nurse their baby will be around for the initiation of that. So we kind of just stay by the family side the whole time, whereas medical care is an intermittent care model which means that instead of somebody coming to you and then just staying with you the whole time, your medical provider, especially in a hospital setting is in and out because they have a lot to look after. They have a lot of paperwork to fill out. They might be caring for several families at once. That's really not uncommon, especially in hospitals. Um, And so usually people are surprised with their first baby that when they go to a hospital, they expect their midwife to sit with them, talk with them, support them. And they find that their midwife might come in for a few minutes, take care of basics, and then their midwife will step out and they might not see their midwife for hours sometimes, depending on how busy that midwife is. Um, And so there are just long stretches of time where they're kind of, it's just you and your partner or just you if you're single parenting. Um, And so having the doula there means that you won't be left alone. Yeah. And then
0: how long do you usually stay after, after birth?
1: usually i'm staying for a vaginal birth something like two hours or maybe more Mm -hmm. after birth what i wait for is that there's always a moment when everything has calmed and the family looks like they're ready for their quiet time as a family and i get Mm -hmm. i get a sort of emotional cue okay we've done what we needed to do here and now i'm gonna step out after a cesarean birth, sometimes that takes longer. Um, people are mm-hmm. emotionally adjusting. Cesarean is usually unplanned. Um, and people might be coming out of you know epidural or have had more heavy anesthesia. And so in that instance, I'm going to wait until the family seems like they've kind of come back to themselves. They've grounded a little bit. um, their energy seems back into the room. They've sort of gathered themselves into presence, and then again, when it's like, okay, now you're ready for quiet time, that's when I step out. So that could be after a cesarean birth, maybe three, four hours. Um, if it was really surprising, and I think that the family needs more time, it could be even longer. Okay,
0: so if the if the birth lasts for twenty four hours, you are you are there at their side for twenty four hours, or even even longer.
1: It is not unheard of for me to work a 24 hour shift when I'm attending a birth. Um, If I become too exhausted to continue providing quality care, I have a backup. So what doulas do is we usually work together in teams. So we would have colleagues who have similar languages, similar energy, similar experience, and both of us would be on call for a family at the same time. Meaning, you know, if I became ill or too exhausted to continue, what I could do is call in my backup and the family would have a brand new energized doula who has slept and eaten and feels great. And they would come in and bring in great care to finish off the birth with them. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And so in general,
0: because you've, uh, you've been practicing in Germany now for a few years, um, specifically in, in Berlin, what, is your, what has your experience been of how common it is to, to have a doula and how well it is received by the medical staff?
1: Mm-hmm. Great questions. You know, it's becoming more and more common, Um, I think it's really cool what's happening in the States right now where, because the research around doulas is so compelling, um, like for example, in really, really high, high quality peer reviewed studies, it's, it's been seen that um, doula attended births have a 39% reduction in the likelihood of cesarean. Um, Yeah. It's pretty stunning. Um, they have a huge decrease in the requests for pain medications, um, um, a, a huge increase in the chance that somebody's going to reflect on their birth experience positively, um, which is kind of medical speak for not be traumatized by birth. Um, mm it's just incredible what people can look at. And maybe we can even link um, some of those studies in the show notes for people to check out. Cause it's pretty unbelievable. It's, it's amazing. What That'd be Earth, amazing. Yeah. I'll send those to you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so what's happening in the States is there are really disturbing um, health disparities and outcome disparities for women of color giving birth versus white parents giving birth. And, um, you know, the rate of complications and maternal mortality increases for non-native speakers, for indigenous people giving birth. Um, And because those problems are so persistent and actually getting worse and not getting better, um, what people are trying to look for is cost-effective solutions to increase the likelihood of positive outcomes for people giving birth, especially people on Medicaid. So state after state has been coming out in the past year is putting into a policy that doula care can be covered by insurance um, so that it's accessible to more people and especially parents of color. And I'm hoping that that is going to create a trend um, that will then be picked up on by you know, the UK and Europe um, so that people can see what an amazing um, benefit it has to families to subsidize doula care. But yes, in the six years that I've been here working in Berlin, um, I would say it's becoming increasingly better known. Um, Still nowhere near the States, but every year more and more articles come out, more and more people become aware of it. And I think that it's picking up steam. And yeah, in terms of how the providers deal with it, there's a huge range. Um, So what I tend to see is that more patient-centered providers meaning um, midwives or doctors who are focused on what the family's wishes are and really want to do everything they can to accommodate and listen to and understand and reflect back what the family's goals are in their birth experience That kind of provider, a patient-centered provider is usually very, very happy for doula care because they can see what an asset it is to have somebody in the room who is a cool, calm and collected professional who the family trusts that's a huge benefit to have on the care team. So I've had very positive reactions, even from midwives. Like I've had births here, even in hospitals where me and the midwife have cried after the birth and hugged each other in tears and said, thank you for your work. I'm so glad you were here. I'm so glad we all got to do this together. What a beautiful experience. So that's definitely been there. Um, and you also get, um, midwives sometimes since I am fluent in English and German and I can offer a translation, I'll get a big kind of, Oh, thank God reaction from a lot of midwives. When they see me, you know, it's 4.00 AM. Sometimes when we're rolling into the hospital, they're exhausted too. And they don't always want to try to be speaking a second language. And they might also be uncomfortable thinking, okay, even if I, can speak English I might not want to speak English in a clinical care setting because if I were to say something wrong I might be held liable for a mistake that I made linguistically so just being there and saying look I'm here to translate some midwives are like thank god yes I'm so happy and there are hospitals yeah this
0: question of liability is very present in Germany
1: it definitely is yeah overall but definitely in Germany as well Um, so yeah, I've had the really super positive reactions. Even there are some hospitals here where I walk in and the midwives know me now because I'm there all the time. So it's like, Oh, Annie, hello. You know, we have these great relationships. Then there are some providers who are more traditional who might just not have been exposed to doula care very much, and they might have remaining questions. I think a lot of hesitation around doulas actually just comes from ignorance, like just lack of experience. Um, So, and I also see that any resistance to doula care or discomfort might come up around these more. Provider centered birth experiences. So, when you're giving birth in a place where providers are more focused on what's going to be comfortable for them, what they're used to doing, what they can, you know, report at the end of the day they did in a standard way, you know, people who are looking more to the system and what the system needs than looking to you as an individual, that's often where I'll see a little bit of discomfort potentially arise with the presence of a doula. But it's my job. To ease that discomfort. That is literally my job. <laughs> so, walking into that room, and if I you know, first thing I would do is introduce myself to a midwife, you know, shake her hand, look her in the eyes, let her know my name, let her know that I'm here to support the family and I'm also here to support you. Anything you need, if I can grab you a coffee, I have snacks in my bag, you know, just let her know, look, I respect you, I respect your work, I'm here for you. And then if she makes a joke, laugh at her jokes, you know, give her that little wink, have that little Little, that little nudge that shows her, Look, I appreciate you. I want to support you. I'm here to help. Um, and that's all just also about nonviolent communication strategies. So, making sure that everybody feels we're on the same team and we're united in the same goal, which is a healthy outcome from this birth. We're not on different teams. We have all the same, we're pointed at the same in the same direction. So, that's something that I'm skilled in. I have training in. Um, and yeah, I would say, If you did ever get into one of these, I would say more rare situations where your provider is more doula resistant or you're sensing some discomfort there, that's actually like the perfect situation in which to have a doula (laughs) because what that's giving you is like a little red flag or a little signal kind of warning you that that provider might be focused a little bit more on what they're comfort is than yours and that's a perfect role um that's a perfect time to bring in an advocate like a doula who is trained to help you access exactly what it was that you were planning for in your birth
0: yeah wow um, there are so many points that i want to jump on but um okay first things first i think you know when you mentioned at the beginning um you were, when you were describing what what birth doula care is um you are mentioning a lot of emotional support spiritual support a shoulder to cry on etc and this is usually where when when i talk to my clients about having a doula where couples look at each other if if they're not single parenting and the birthing parent kind of looks at her <laughs> partner and goes well they're going to be there so i don't need this um, is, is that true? I mean, can you, is it because you have a partner, like, a you know, a life partner uh, attending your birth with you that you don't need a doula or what, what would be the advantages? Why would someone want to have a doula and their partner?
1: This is such a good question. Thank you so much for raising this question. So the role of the partner and the role of the doula are different roles. They are different roles. A partner's role at the birth is completely irreplaceable. There's nobody who could ever be to the birthing person what the partner is to them. That person who knows exactly just how to scratch their head to make their whole body relax and how to remind them of that funny memory from their honeymoon at just the right time so that they can laugh and brighten the mood, you know knows what their little favorite things are and their least favorite things. Like A partner is a co-parent. A partner is a partner. And at the birth, their job is that they're becoming a parent, whether for the first time or the second time or the third time, they are witnessing the person they love going through a potentially painful and stressful experience. Um, they have to emotionally regulate themselves and handle their own experience of that. Um, they're, They're dealing with the whole picture of becoming a parent. And that is more than enough for one person to deal with. And I like to say what I do is actually free up space so that the partner can do what they do best and just be a partner to you. When I come in, I'm playing a different role. I'm a birth worker. So my entire job 24-7 all the time is understanding birth, speaking the language of birth, helping families through birth. I'm a body worker. I give massage. Like these are things where if you were trying to add that to the partner's plate, that's too much for one person to do. A partner shouldn't be expected to be a doula in addition to being a partner. It's too much. And so I'm there to support the whole family as a unit. And I have to say like, what people don't anticipate is that sometimes a partner almost needs more support than the person who's giving birth. Um, like sometimes I have partners who can get a little bit faint or I have a partner who's feeling a little emotionally overwhelmed and needs a confidential conversation. Sometimes a partner has been, you know, supporting for eight hours street and needs to go out and, Take a walk around the block and get some fresh air, or call their buddy. Um, I'm always making sure that the partner's eating snacks regularly, eating meals at meals times, um, that they're drinking water and staying hydrated, giving them bathroom breaks. Partners need support in a similar way to birthing people, because the family is one unit, it's a symbiotic holistic unit. And the doula's role is to support the whole family. So even it'll turn into sometimes a situation where a partner can zone out a little bit, because they're not totally sure how to engage, especially if it's their first time going through this. And so I'll see a partner kind of drift off into phone land, um, you know, something like that. And so what I can do as a doula is just like gently kind of tongue, tug them back in, just welcome them back into the fold of the birth. Hey, could you um, fill up this hot water bottle and could you put it on their back um, while they're feeling the, while they're in the breaks and then maybe take it off during the wave or handing them the water and saying, Oh, can you be responsible for giving them water after every contraction? And these are the things that help a partner to feel integrated, you know, showing them where to touch on their back to help provide comfort. So really what I'm, doing is I'm helping facilitate the role of the partner. And in no way am I replacing them or pushing them to the side. I'm really drawing them in and integrating them and supporting them just as much as the person giving birth. And you mentioned this. That's that's great. Yeah, you mentioned this before, but I think it's really worth saying that um, it's also kind of a product of toxic monogamy culture that says that like one person in your life is supposed to be everything to you. That they're like your birth worker, your doula, your sexual partner, your co-parent, your emotional support, your best friend, like. That's a lot to put on someone. So I think there's really a benefit to viewing birth as like a teamwork experience and letting everybody have all the support that they need so that you can go through it in an emotionally healthy way. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and
0: also not to mention that, uh, the, the partner is, like you said, you're making them an even better partner by, by telling them what they can do, what they can help with. But it's also hugely beneficial if the, the partner isn't ex, coming out of the birth exhausted, uh, because the, the postpartum is starting and you need just as much energy and, um, it, maybe more, um, to actually, you know, s- sustain yourselves and, um, being there for each other. So it's, it's really great to, yeah, to hear how you're involving the partners, um, how you're involving also the, the siblings. Um, I mean, you know, you mentioned this when we were preparing the interview that the, you know, you also involve the, uh, older children of the, of the family. Uh, when they want to be present when the parents are are also comfortable with it so i I'm really really um glad that we're we're clearing this um and also that we're demystifying um the 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 fact that and and maybe not demystifying but uh, making sure that it's okay to ask for support and that there is not Never too much support. Um, what I really also like about doula work is the fact that it's, it's really someone external and just like it's easier to speak to your therapist about, you know, some of the stuff that is, is going on in your head and in your heart and in your, in your mind. It's, it's easier to say it to a doula as well, you know, to say, well, you know, I kind of need to empty my bladder. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how to do this because mm-hmm. I can't walk or, mm-hmm. you know, um, where you might not feel comfortable telling your, you know, your sexual partner uh, about this thing.
1: Exactly. There's a whole new layer of confidentiality, security. Um, Yeah, it's it's a very different thing to have a professional who's holding professional space for you come and totally put their whole life, leave it at the door. And then just show up and just completely be there for you. It's not about our story at all. It's about your story and we are there to support you. Yeah, it's a different layer of safety.
0: Yeah. I want to also come back on one thing that you were mentioning before with working with the medical staff in in a hospital or... or, or a clinic, and that you were saying that it's, it's sometimes useful uh, because you're bilingual and you speak German and English that you can translate. Um, I sometimes have parents who say to me, I'd like to have a doula who can, you know, advocate for me, who can actually, you know, be my voice. Um, can you be? <laughs> the parents voice? Will you actually be the, you know, the, the, the platform between the parents and, and the medical staff, or are you just literally translating? How does that work?
1: Such a good question. This is going to be such a great podcast episode for people who are wanting to look into this. <laughs> I'm excited. I hope so. <laughs> yes, it will. So translation for me is different from patient advocacy. Obviously they happen simultaneously but translation for me is making sure that the staff or the care provider and the family understand each other. So, really, I'm trying to give as faithful a translation as possible so that people can speak in their mother tongue and be understood. Patient advocacy is really an art form. And it's something that honestly has taken me years to develop as a skill set. And the the most useful thing that I can explain, the most useful way I can explain it to parents is I would not want to be your voice or speak for you because that's actually another way of taking away your voice and your voice is your power. And I fully believe and I'm acting in good faith in the, from the belief that you, your voice exists, that it matters, that it can be heard, that it has impact and that you can use it. I trust that. So what advocacy often looks like for me is just to give an example. Let's say somebody had an intervention that they decided they did not consent to because, for example, maybe research has shown that it's not going to increase the incidence of healthy outcomes for them and their baby. So for example, um Damschnitt is a good example of this. So they might have uh,
0: so 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 cutting parts of of the vagina to make the the opening larger for the for the baby's body.
1: Right, right. Which you know, it's everybody's cringing. You know, everybody listening to this is going, "Oh no, oh, no, it's um, it's something that it's done rarely here." as far as I've seen, it does depend on the provider. So some hospitals I see it's done more often and some hospitals I've been to, you know, dozens of births and never even seen it suggested. Um, so this is also one of the things that doula can do. They can tell you when you say, Oh, I'm going into this hospital. We can say, Oh, okay. So that has a really low rate of this intervention. You know, it's anecdotal, but it exists. So let's say I saw that I was working with a family who said, I don't consent to this, which I think is a pretty good evidence-based position just because there's, you know, humongous thousands and thousands of people studies from since really the eighties that have been done decade after decade to understand this procedure and when and how it can benefit parents and babies. And overall, it just shows that unless it's really an extreme emergency, this is not a good idea to do. Um, So let's say they don't consent. If I saw that the midwife was maybe kind of preparing, like taking out a tool to maybe get ready for that, I would turn to the family and I would say loudly so the midwife can hear Hey, Zara, didn't we have a conversation about this a couple weeks ago and you had said that you didn't want this one intervention? Um, I do see the midwife may be preparing for that. Do you have any questions for her? And what that does is it sparks a conversation between the patient and the provider because that's the only conversation that really matters. And also from a legal perspective, the only person who can consent or not consent to something is, is the person giving birth. They have the right, they have the power, they have the voice. So what I just did was let them know that their voice could be used and opened up a bridge between them and the provider to start that conversation. So they might say, oh, hey, I have questions. What are you prepping over there? Um, Or just say, hey, I don't consent to that. Or, oh, can you forecast what, what feelings might I experience with this? So those are really, really useful things because sometimes in that situation... I'll notice, okay, so the patient isn't consenting. So that's really helpful because I can continue to advocate around understanding, oh, the patient's not consenting. I can keep facilitating that conversation, right? Keep pointing to the partner, keep pointing to the, the birthing person and letting them use their voices to make sure that it's understood by the care team that they're not consenting. Sometimes I'll point that out based on a conversation we had prenatally hey, we're getting ready for something that maybe wasn't in your plan. And the birthing person will turn to me and the partner and provider and go, no, no, I'm, I'm good with it. (laughs) No, let's do it. Like, I I don't really care at this point or honestly, I welcome the help. Um, my mind has changed. I'm open to it. Let's, let's go. And that's really great because I've obtained informed consent. Um, and I've noticed a lot of providers and hospitals. either don't have the time or weren't really trained to actually obtain informed consent for a lot of procedures. Um, And, you know, that's a bigger systemic problem that's obviously rooted in misogyny and racism and all kinds of other awful isms. Um, But to, to to obtain informed consent can turn something from potentially traumatizing to not. And that's a really that's a really key difference.
0: Yeah. So, you're pointing out what's maybe about to happen. You can also read the signs because you've been there before. So, when you see a tray with instruments being taken out, you can recognize like this is, you know, for this or they're maybe preparing for this, but you're not saying to the midwife or to the, the care pro- medical care provider, um, I've talked to the mother about this. She doesn't want it. So, <laughs> because people are also allowed to change their minds exactly uh, according to the situation that that's 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 really um that's really important but i think it's equally really important that you're able to speak german to understand what's going on and to uh to be able to translate in you know uh these kind of um consent uh situations so that's that's really really great now we're talking about interventions um so an intervention in in birth language is is um anything that diverts from the course of you know a birth that someone would have if they had uh, if they were giving birth let's say alone uh quote unquote um so it can be an epidural it can be like you said an episiotomy, so darmschnitt it can be um obviously a c-section um giving hormones like oxytocin all of this is an intervention so you're you're you know doing medically something um that wasn't um that isn't physiologically happening on its own um and is it so, is it worth saying that a doula is only for people who want to have a non-medicated natural birth with no intervention? Or. Is it still worth thinking about a doula if, you know, if you're still not sure about an epidural or even if you are deciding all the way uh, f- for, you know, that you want to plan C-section, for example, um, would you support, you know, all parents, you know, or is it, is it really just, just for natural births?
1: Perfect question. This is really one of like the myths about doula care that I've noticed that a lot of people come in with this presumption that doulas are really only there to support people who want a no intervention birth and don't want to use epidural. That's just not true. I mean, it's at least for my practice, you know, I don't want to speak for other doulas because every doula gets to formulate their own practice and they get to practice in their own special way. For me personally, my goal is to support every family in their unique wishes up to my capacity. So I've supported people who had planned caesareans. I've supported people who were a hundred percent sure they definitely wanted epidural as early as possible in their labor. I've supported people who said, I definitely do not want epidural unless something really veers off track. Um, I've supported home births. I really have supported and love supporting a huge variety of births. Obviously I I do want to help people navigate that choice of provider like where they're giving birth so that they're giving birth in a place that's going to hopefully support their plan. Um, And I do think it's really useful for people to know kind of in a flexible way in general, what they're sort of looking for going into their care. um, So they have the highest likelihood of actually being able to communicate around that. Um, so helping people strategize, but yeah, in general, super open to providing care to every type of family because you never know what somebody has been through and every, pe- every person's unique. You know, sometimes people are looking for a high intervention birth because it provides a level of safety for them that might be based off of actually trauma they've experienced. Um, there might be people who know already that they're prone to dissociation, for example, when they experience pain, um, somebody might've had like a prior medical procedure in their life where they didn't have proper numbing. Um, and if they didn't have access to the anesthesia or pain medication, they needed, it's going to be really important to them in birth that they don't repeat that experience. So just the amount of stories, so diverse, but I'm there for, I'm there for all of them. Mm. And
0: Another myth I think that it's it's maybe worth dissipating is that, um, am I right in saying that you will not push them towards a no intervention birth?
1: Yeah, definitely. I would, no, I would never push somebody towards, what I want to do is like, I know it's funny, we laugh, but at the same time, it's like, it's important to say it. Um, yeah. Yeah. What I want to do with a family is listen that's where I really start with the family. I just want to listen. I want to bring up the idea of birth and ask open-ended questions. I want to hear from them. What are your goals? What are you looking to get out of this experience? What's going to make this positive for you? What have you been through in the past that's going to affect the way you view this and what you need out of it? And once I have a good, clear picture of what this person's goals are, then like I said, I'm going to help them strategize. So if somebody says, you know, I would really like to avoid interventions. I would really like to avoid epidural. Um, I want to have skin to skin contact with my baby. I want to have a Lotus birth where we don't, you know, cut the cord for the first few days, something like that. I'm going to go, okay, I think you should probably be looking into home birth midwifery, or you should look to give birth in a birth center. So I'm going to be, you know, helping them with the calls and emails around that process. That's where we're going to be looking. Um, But if somebody tells me, no, I actually, I feel really safe in hospitals. The idea of a home birth is horrifying to me. I never wanted that. Um, That's the worst thing to me. Then it's like, okay, what are we looking for? Like I have families sometimes who say, you know, the only place I feel comfortable giving birth is a level one hospital, um, which means with a neonatal intensive care unit. And so then we go, okay, it's like I switch modes. I'm like, okay, so we're going to give birth at a level one hospital. These are the best options. These are the ones where I've seen the most patient-centered care. Where are we going to get registered? You know, it's like switching modes.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's uh, good to know. And I think important to say. Um, so we're currently, as we we're recording this, in the, I think it's fair to say, still the middle of the third wave of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, what has been your experience as a birth doula? How are you affected and how are the parents affected by the current restrictions? Are there, does it still make sense to plan to have a birth doula? So many questions, but <laughs> how's it
1: been? Yeah. So in terms of restrictions, since the start of the pandemic, since the very start, the Senate put out a regulation that said that people can, in the hospitals, in the Kaisal, people who are giving birth can bring one support person with them. And that has been the same from the start. That's never changed. With the up and mm. down, that's been the same. So what that has meant for me as a doula in birth is that when people are looking for that lower intervention birth experience, we've definitely been, been considering out-of-hospital birth. Um, because for uh, an out-of-hospital birth, like at home birth or in most birthing centers, unless they're attached to a hospital, um, for freestanding birthing centers, you can bring your partner, you can bring your doula. I mean, it's something, obviously, to check in with your individual provider on. This is, these mm-hmm. might be ad hoc decisions. But in general, that's been, that's been the freedom that's been allotted. Um, so for me, I have been attending more out-of-hospital births. I think there's also hesitation for people entering a hospital as a healthy person. At this point, yeah. Um, which you know, honestly, is something I would consider. I would ask people to probably consider at all times, but especially during a p- pandemic. You know, if you are healthy and your pregnancy's healthy, your baby's healthy, you're low risk. Why not consider an out of hospital birth? It's very well supported with evidence. Um, the research is very compelling, showing really positive outcomes for parents and babies in that in that environment. Um, and you're really only going to be actually giving birth in that environment if you're deemed very very low risk. So yeah, that seems like a good option. And then for hospital births, it's been that sort of awkward decision for people of, okay, so why did I hire a doula? Do I have a need for my doula that is so strong that my partner may have to stay at home and I'll finish up the birth in the hospital with my doula and then meet up with my partner right after the birth and then be with them for the whole postpartum period. And really the rest of our lives with this baby. Um, it's not an easy decision to make, but how it has kind of fallen into my practice is all of my multiple families, my multipara. So if you've had a baby already, your second, third, fourth, all of those families have brought me into the hospital with them to finish out the birth experience after, of course, laboring at home as long as possible as a team with the partner, with the family, with everything. Um, because really, it's just so happened that all these people in my practice needed the partner to stay at home with the firstborns. Um, a lot of people during Corona can't have grandma or grandpa or auntie or uncle fly in and come and help out and hang out with the firstborns while they're at their birth. Um, So a lot of times that does fall to the partner so that the person who's giving birth has that peace of mind of knowing, okay, my children are in great hands. They're happy. They're secure. They're great. I can now relax and I can release into the process. And um, my first time families, it's been a much more mixed bag because with the first birth, people are usually wanting to bring the partner in and have them be there for that first birth experience. So what I'll do for that is labor at home with somebody as long as possible, which is really always what I do. That's just, that's the strategy. That's the (laughs) do a (laughs) thing. And so me and the person and the partner will be laboring at home. And then when the birth has really gotten super strong and regular, Then I will escort them and their partner pretty much up to the Chrysal door, and then I'll say goodbye to them there, give them a big hug, and then I switch to virtual support. Um, so for example, like last week I was supporting a birth where, um, I suspected that somebody's baby had a little bit of an asynclitic presentation, which is just a positioning thing. So I was sending them photos, um, illustrations of how to lift her right knee up and stretch her left leg out over the table and show them the bodywork things that they could be doing to help the baby descend, taking, um, images and sending them images of how she could be resting comfortably for her baby's position while she was having epidural, um, um, yeah, and just getting on the phone with them, talking them through. Oh, the doctor recommended this. What direction are we going to go? Um, celebrating with them on the phone when the baby was born, and just giving mm-hmm. that doula support virtually.
0: Yeah, yeah. I th- uh, I think the um, the the doula care before going into hospital is really not to be underestimated, as well as the the time that it takes uh, before you you go into a hospital. Um, I think in the, in the media and the movies, um, uh, parents who have not experienced the birth before tend to think that you know you have a baby really quickly and you have to rush into hospital. Uh, you very rarely have to rush into hospital, and it's actually it makes the the birthing process much quicker if you are in in uh, familiar surroundings um, uh, because you're you're. Your body, as soon as the body enters the hospital, goes into kind of, um, I wouldn't say fight or flight mode, but goes into a bit of a shock and, and, uh, sees that there's a, a risk and a change in, uh, environment and the, the, the labor sort of, um, slows down. So it's always good to take as much time as possible, um, before going to the hospital and, uh, and therefore having, uh, yeah, the care of a doula. Um, so as we're nearing the end of the interview already, <laughs> sadly, um, I just wanted to, uh, can you give us a few tips for parents who are thinking about having a, a doula when they should look for one? Um, you know, how much in advance and also maybe give us some idea of the, the cost structure.
1: Mm-hmm. So I would say with everything birth related in Berlin, it does benefit you to start early. Um, But it's very possible that you also can find a doula a little bit more last minute. So don't give up hope Um, no matter where you are in your pregnancy, really. Honestly, even if you're due tomorrow, I would say do a little research, contact some doulas, see, see who's available. You might be surprised. Um, But yeah, the earlier, usually the better. And um, there's a helpful Facebook group called Berlin Doula Options slash Vermittlung. And this is a place where you can post your due date and um, maybe the languages you speak or anything else that's really important to you and see if you can get some doulas replying who have capacity. So that's a great tip. And then, yeah, the cost structure, I think it depends on um, your doula's experience level. And then it might also depend on how your doula structures their life. So like I, for example, am an independent doula. So I'm a small business owner. Um, this is my full-time job. It's been my full-time job for like more than seven years. Um, and so my cost structure is set up kind of in that vein. And there are some doulas who might have like multiple earner households. They might have a partner who is a primary earner in their household. Um, There might be doulas who have other jobs in addition to being a doula and that might affect their, their fees. Um, And then there are also just new doulas who are kind of like coming on the scene, trying to gain experience, um, really enthusiastic, maybe just trying to finish up their certification. And that's also going to, of course, affect like what rate those doulas are asking. So I would say I've seen here anywhere in the range from maybe 750 euros for like a newer doula to up to, you know, my rate to families at the end with taxes and everything is about 2000 euros I think that's a realistic range to expect um, for this care. And of course, this does include prenatal sessions, um, support during the pregnancy, on-call time, up to maybe four or more weeks of on-call time, meaning your doula is available 24-7, one phone call away, ready to jump and go to you the moment you need them, that continuous support at the labor and birth, and then also a postpartum visit or even maybe multiple postpartum visits depending on your doula. So that's all the care that's being provided over months for this rate. But I think doulas do consider it really important to make our care accessible. It's at least very important to me. Um, I don't want doula care to be something that like is only accessible to privileged families. That would be really exacerbating the problems that we want to address with it. So, um, like for example, in my practice, I allow my full paying clients to subsidize care for two to three families a year who I take on at low or no cost, um, just based on a sliding scale. Um, and every doula I know has some level of like discounted offerings or lower no cost care available to at least one family a year. So I, yeah, I've never met a doula who didn't have that as a part of their care structure. Um, so it's something to consider. Like if you are really on a budget and you need this care and it's something that's going to be important to you, reach out and let doulas know your budget. And if we can't provide it at that time, almost certainly we can refer you to somebody who can.
0: Yeah, because there's a there's a great uh, great community that works together. So uh, I can find, find something. Great. Yeah. Um, Annie, thanks very much for your time. Um, if there is one or two resources that you'd like to share for international families in Germany, what what would they be?
1: Wow, can be a,
0: a, it can be a person. It can be so like a service provider. Or it can be a book or a film or a place.
1: Okay, so the Facebook group Hebammenvermittlung für Mittlung Berlin is a pretty stellar resource because families are constantly looking for midwives. Um, There's a midwifery shortage and a baby boom going on. So if you're searching for a midwife, I would definitely check out that Facebook group, post your due date, um, post your post lightsaw. They need your zip code because midwives work in like very restricted areas. Like they just work within a little neighborhood usually. Um, Yeah. So check that out. If you're looking for a midwife, I think that's pretty clutch. And then, yeah, honestly, What comes to mind is like you, (laughs) like baby in Berlin, like having Elodie there would be amazing. Um, having a doula. Oh, you know what else? There's a chiropractor called Florence Julian who works in Laura Groom's practice. Um, it's Berlin dash chiropractoren.de, I think. And we can put it in the show notes. Yeah. I would love to. Honestly, she's a miracle worker. Like I send every family to her practically because if you're having symphysis pubis pain, if you're having, you know, lower back pain, if you're having any, anything like a tight pelvic floor, I'm always like, go to Florence, go to Florence, go to Florence. And then people come back and they're like, I had one session and my pain is gone. Like I celebrate this. I want people to be radiantly healthy and thriving. So I would say have a few sessions with Florence during your pregnancy. It's really going to benefit you. Amazing. Good. Well, thank you very much for all of this information.
0: I think it would it will be um, great for all the families out there who are thinking of, of hiring a doula who don't really know all the ins and outs. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Annie, as always. And
1: um, yeah, maybe see you soon. Yes, it's always a pleasure, Elodie. Thank you so much.
0: For more information about my services and courses, go to babyinberlin.com. Sound and music by David Nichols. Thank you all for listening. See you on the next episode.